going on, everybody? It's your man, Cam, and welcome to another edition of My Friends Are Fresh. Took a little bit of a hiatus, you know, life stuff's going on, these types of things, but I'm back in uh, trying to get back on that cadence and consistency. For this episode, we have Tim Gray, a health and wellness expert who has his own business um, centered around health and wellness, but he started in the nightlife scene in New York City. And um, I've known him for a number of years, and it's interesting and awesome to see his growth from when I first met him to all the way now. But the one thing that kind of goes through the thread of all these things, it was always about helping people and always making people feel good. So I'm really happy that we got to sit down and kind of talk about his journey, talk about how he's impacting people now and where he wants to go into the future. So without further ado, this is My Friends Are Fresh featuring Tim Gray. Tim Gray, welcome to My Friends Are Fresh. Well, thank you, Mr. Cam. <laughs> now, uh, Tim, I've known you for on 17 years, 18. Sure. We'll just round it up to 20. Sure. Um, and so you, I met you more from first as a client, actually. Yes. Oh, yeah. 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 First, it was a client. Um, and this was more just your branding wise. We were like, you know, me and the fellows were doing, you know, your logo and your branding. And you're like, you know, which I'm currently wearing right now. It's still there 20 years later. Mm-hmm. Strong brand. <laughs> um, but also from, you know, and back then you were more so you're a man of many things, but we'll start from the beginning. <laughs> And so when we met you, you were doing a lot of nightlife stuff and yes. experiences and events. Like, how yeah. did you get into that? I really want to say that I started throwing parties when I was in high school. One of the more uh, <laughs> uh, reasons why I was like, oh, I can do this is that I was in the projects. Anybody who was from Harlem will understand what Drew Hamilton Projects was and is. So my friend Shawana and I were through a dollar party. And our friend Makita, her mom let us use the house to throw the party because they didn't have, a, they were moving or furniture wasn't in the living room. And when we threw it, you know, the, some of the unmentionable people who you know from the block was coming and we were like, yo. Uh. <laughs> but needless to say, it was, a, it was a, um, a success. And it was cool to be able to give her mom some money. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? At first we were like, should we break her off? But we was like, we kind of got to, she knows our mom. So we can't be out here. But that kind of was like the, um, yeah, I can do this. It was kind of cool. And then uh, fortunately my big brother, Stone Jackson and Mark Smooth and uh, our other big brother, DJ Kosi, they were throwing the freedom party. So we used to go down to Star Foods on First Street and First Avenue. Oh, rest in peace, Star Foods. Yeah, that was, that was, if you know what that is in New York, you know what it is. But, uh, so they were throwing the parties and being a dancer, you know, that's where you can be around the mature people while still getting off. So it was like a learning experience as well. So you could be with the seasoned vets mm. and, uh, and you got to see the, you know, the, the girls who had the short haircut smelling like patchouli. Des de Jane. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, uh, it was a whole, uh, a whole vibe that you can get into. And then they let me have the opportunity of having a guest list. Uh, okay. So you started from there. Oh, I definitely yeah. started. The, I was straight from the bottom. If you don't know what a guest list is, that means that you are no one. <laughs> <laughs> and you only going to eat off what you kill. <laughs> so you got a percentage of the people who came and said your name at the door. Old school rules. Yeah. And that's kind of what started me into the, you know, real nightlife realm. And I thought what they were doing was the coolest damn thing in the world. <laughs> and they had like, I never forget one night I'm sitting there with um, Bev Smith and she bought, brought, um, 
What's the sister who just uh, lost her son, celebrity from 227, Regina King? Oh. And she's sitting there. I'm like, yo. <laughs> oh, this is a thing thing. Okay. And the reason why it was dope, and this is when New York was New York, nobody cared. Mm. They just let them live, had that moment. And, you know, being a New York City kid at that time, you knew how there was a way to learn how to be around people. Yeah. I, I think I taught, I caught the like tail end of it. Mm-hmm. And that's, and that's even like, not even like the real, real tail end. This was like tail end part five. Yeah. So Cause was there like, was a couple of tails. Yeah. So this is like 2005. So where I was like, I would go to some of the clubs and it would be a bunch of celebrity there, but mm-hmm. then no one would care. Yeah. No and and mostly it was just like, yo man, can you, can you move? I'm trying to get some dancing. I'm trying to talk to this person behind you. Like I don't worry. Like Olsen's twins, keep keep over here. Excuse, mm-hmm. me, excuse me. So, um, but it was funny to me because when I that was the first time I experienced that, and I was like, "This is weird. Why? Like, no one cares." And my friend was like, "No one cares." <laughs> it's like unless it's someone at the level of like a Michael Jackson or a Janet that's the only way. Like Stevie has to walk in yep. for us to even care. Yeah, it has to be a mega star. Anyone yeah. that's like a celebrity, like basketball players, like nah. baseball and basketball players are at the bottom of the list. <laughs> If you're a sports athlete, we really don't care. (laughs) (laughs) So it was like, but can you dance? There you go. That was the thing. So, yeah. So that's kind of where it started, man. And so then from there, you started to kind of like get a crew of people as you started to make these Mm -hmm. events. Because now you weren't just like the guest list guy. You were actually making these parties. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I experienced was going to your parties that were always sexy. There was, you know, everyone was dressed nice. There was a, a good vibe. Mm-hmm. Music was always good, but mm-hmm. it was still dancing. Like there, it wasn't just like, I'm dressing nice. I'm coming and I'm just going to like, you know, stand around, which I saw just see a lot in New York. Sure. Circa 2005, 2006, where a lot of the parties, predominantly black, where you got dressed up, you got your nice drink and you just sat there. <laughs> and you looked cool. This was, this was the bottle service era. Yeah. And that's the thing was, it was weird to me because I was like, why? Like, just no one hear the music right now? Are we yeah. just going to hang out? Yeah. Like not getting it sweaty. Like I was just, <laughs> I was just so confused. And then when I went to one of your parties, I was like, oh wow, people are dressed up. Yeah. People are mingling. There was conversation. Yeah. People were actually dancing and it was a good time on yeah. top of looking sexy and meaningful yeah. people. And so what I what it took me from you guys was like, oh, okay, it wasn't just you by yourself, but the whole crew was dressed up mm-hmm. and everyone had a certain vibe or certain, carried themselves a certain way. So it, it, it was like a crew throwing a party, not just like a singular person. Yeah. And then the, the, then kind of what the, uh, the gray brand is what, you know, I started getting introduced. So right. how did the gray, the great name gray kind of come about? Well, here's a real, real story. Uh, you're going to get the exclusive, 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 exclusive. <laughs> So I had a, uh, when I started throwing parties, I was, had a company called Entertainment Accessories. So when we first started throwing parties with the Freedom Party, it was EA for short, because of course no one was going to walk into a room and say Entertainment Accessory. <laughs> so um, I had abolished that company because I had kept having issues with the person I was partnered with. And um, my younger brother called me from school. He went to Buffalo State. BU. I think he went to all of them. Uh, I'm not even joking. <laughs> so, oh, oh, yeah. So he calls me one day. He goes, y'all got the name of your company. I was like, what? Now, the reason why this is important to state is that my younger brother does not like social events. <laughs> He's a quintessential artist where he can sit in the corner for three days and paint and write and doesn't like social. He's like, great productions. I was like, what? Now, if you do know this, everybody at that time had a such and such productions. And of course. Whatever, you know, black and gold productions. And, you know, I got a hot one production. So I, uh, I said, what is it? He says, great productions. I was like, okay, why? 
And he, what he said was really important. He goes, because every time I went to one of your events, there was white people in there and there was black people in there. You have more diversity in your events than any other person I know who do parties. And I was like, yo. Quite, so that's, good. that's insightful. It was because knowing that a person like him will sit in the corner. He used to sit down next to Chris Classic all the time at my parties. So I was like, hmm, great productions. And I didn't like the production name because it just said black promoter to me. Mm. And I, I wanted to be able to set myself aside from this stigma. And I thought about it. And I thought about it. And that's how I said I wanted to be a umbrella for everything that I wanted. And that's how it became great productions. I mean, excuse me, great enterprises. Mm -hmm. Because that sounded more established. It sounded a little bit more. It didn't. I could go anywhere with this uh, enterprise thing rather than just be a production company. Yeah, that makes sense. And then also, too, when we were designing the logo, one of the things that we talked about was that. You wanted to make sure that if someone saw your logo, it was uh, universal. Yeah. And it wasn't like, oh, that's a black company or mm -hmm. that's a whatever company. It was just like, oh, there's a company. And then you can kind of set the tone of what you want it to do. And I think that was one cool thing because now over the years, we're at 20 years now. Mm -hmm. And it has maybe a slight change here and there, but in Barely. general, it's pretty much the, it's the same. same thing. Yeah. But that was an important thing to us because what we noticed was like, yeah, when we went to one of your parties or your events, it was, it was a good mix of people. Mm -hmm. And so it didn't get pigeonholed into just being one thing and it yeah. started to do that. And so with that, you know, that was more just from the nightlife stuff. Mm -hmm. And slowly but surely you started to get more into health and wellness and yeah. started to kind of break away from just like throwing parties, but actually throwing like actual like events and experiences. Mm -hmm. Like where did you get, where did that come from? I still think that it, um, I still always tip my hat to Mark Smukosi and um, Stone Jackson because they were like mentors to me when I was like 18. And they were like the cool dudes who, you know, like wore like Stan Smiths and were former athletes, but they, you know, just really cool put together men. That's why I think it's important to, have mentors because when you have mentorship, they kind of guide you. You know what I mean? Yep. So I was think I was lucky in that regard, but <laughs> this is how it really changed. One day when the old regime of the freedom party was around, when Herbert was still a human being. Yeah, I said it. Um, anyway, I wanted to add some more flavor to the party because it just started to feel antiquated. Mm. You know what I mean? Felt I know it was an old school party, but it started to feel old. And it was like, yo, we're not changing nothing. But if you want to do something, like start your own shit. And I felt like that was a kick in the gut because I had put like six years in. Mm. And I'm like, yo, I'm doing my thing on the side. But like, I thought I was family. And it was like, you are, but this is our shit. So I took it personally initially. And uh, I was on a bus. And this is right after, this is how long you know how old this is. I was on a bus and I had just seen The Matrix 2. Mm. I think the day before. And I called DJ CEO. I was like, yo, I got it. He's like, you got what? I said, the name of the party we're going to throw. He goes, uh, okay. He said, what is it? I said, it's called the sweat party. He goes, what? He goes, ain't nobody coming to no party called the sweat party, specifically black women. And I was like, well, it's not just for black people. It's for people who want to dance. So this is my way of doing what freedom was doing, but being able to do it in my version. And he's like, well, how did you get up to this? So if you remember the Matrix 2, there's a scene in, when they were in Zion when um, uh, Morpheus is like, let them hear you roar. And then this Afro house beat starts. 
And then everybody starts dancing. Yeah. They filmed that in, uh, actually in the Bay, I think. Oh, where? Yeah. I didn't know that. Like, yeah, there's a bunch of B-boys in there. And that's, yeah. that's, that's so dope. <laughs> but there was a particular part when you see all these androgynistic looking people just dancing and that was like, I want to be at that party. Mm. You know what I mean? It wasn't, no, everybody kind of had the Kanye West clothing line from 2005, post-apocalyptic homeless shades people. of brown, homeless people, sexy. Yeah. And uh, I was like, yo, that party looks hella dope. And um, that was it. And that's why I was like, that's where the inspiration came from. So that was the first time when I was like, all right, when I after works, so I knew the people couldn't deal, deal with just after works. They needed more. So our after work parties are pretty popular. But I wanted to do events where it could be, you know, a greater sum of people. You could charge more money. True. But I still wanted to dance. I, I wasn't going to be the promoter who had the 600 people outside and the girls in the tight outfits and stuff like that who didn't dance. I wanted to have the 150 people who came to party. Yeah. And I think that's actually a, that's actually pretty good because that brings in a little bit more of the um, dance community vibe mm-hmm. into this place where people go to events and they go to clubs to dance. Like yeah. They go to see people. It's good to see people, you know, kiss babies, shake hands and stuff. But in general, you're going to get down. Mm-hmm. And so like, you know, when dancers go to a club, they have their backpack and they have three different t-shirts and yep. they got extra deodorant. And That's why I came from. Yep. So these parties were a little bit more fun because you would go and you expected to dance. Mm-hmm. So people came in, they came in there and their, um, they got their kicks on, they got their whatever's yeah. t-shirts. And then they were in there and they knew they were going to dance. And then, all the DJs that uh, that DJ the parties, same thing. This was like kind of like their moment to kind of like, okay, normally I got to play the hits. I got to play this. Yeah. There was a particular agenda that you had to follow. Yeah. But this one was like, yo, as long as people are dancing, you can do whatever you want. Yeah. And that was kind of the point. It's like, you know, I could play all the updated music or all the updated dance hall, or uh, we could have a soca set that things that they wouldn't do at freedom. Yeah. That I feel like I wasn't biting. Cause you know, I would come from that generation that you don't do what somebody else did. Uh, you needed to be an original. And I was like, this is a way I can do it. So we had no, um, it, the first place we threw a party was um, day after, it was Christmas Eve. No, excuse me. The de- December 26, 2006, 2007. I wanted, uh, I have it written down somewhere. I think it's 2008, but that's when we started throwing a sweat party. And the first DJs that I had was DJ CEO, DJ Hard Hitting Harry, and DJ MoMA. Mm. They were the first sweat party DJs. Nice. Shout out to MoMA. Shout out to the brother who doing amazing things. Yeah, man. And so it was one of those things where I, I realized that I was a part of New York City history at that moment. Because to this day, if you ever see a DJ inside of a fitness class, they had to get it from us because we threw those things so in clubs. That's what they, that was going to take me to my next point where, you know, the first couple of the Parties were just sweat parties. You oh, yeah. Through, you dance. That was it. <laughs> then as they started to mature a little bit, I started to notice that now you started to bring in the element of dance ahead of time. Mm-hmm. So instead of just coming into party, what you would do is you would have like, you know, a dance instructor doing, you know, um, dance hall mm-hmm. or someone doing soca or mm-hmm. you do yoga or something like that. Mm-hmm. So people would come in, work out first, and then they would stay to actually dance. Yeah. It was called, I called it the power hour. So what we, the first iteration was, we started handing out uh, pedometers so you can actually see how many calories you burned. That was cool. Uh, And then we had the power hour where we had shout out to Hannah Herberson. We had um, my boy, Ann Boogie and DJ dubs. 
We had uh, Brooke Wine. We had a lot of people who were known in either fitness and dance community come teach a class for those who were afraid to dance and you wanted to learn how to dance. So because people like Aunt Boogie was in uh, DJ Dubs, they were popular at Broadway Dance Center and that's why I met them. And I was there dancing. I was like, who are these little dudes that are disgustingly nasty? And they had a following, so we brought them in. You know what I mean? They had them teach. But that was... Um, that was the premise about how do we make an impact where I can bring the dance community out early and they kind of warm up the floor. Yeah. And then the people who want to party and be cool and chill later, they're going to show up around that 12, 31 o'clock where it's really at the heat of the night. Yeah. yeah. So that's kind of how that kind of on its own emerged into something else because people needed more and they needed to be do that. We needed to do not they, but we needed to do things that were more, Made us more self-aware. Yeah. And so around this time, this is when you're starting to get more into um, massage therapy. Yeah. I was in school. Yeah. You're in school and all that. And so as you started, as you finished now, because you have your master's now. And everything, yeah. Right? So now that you're finished, you started to merge what you were doing with Grant Enterprises with mm-hmm. what you learned from massage therapy. Like yeah. what was the reason? What was the reasoning behind it? Besides like, you know, you can do it all, but <laughs> creative ADD is what we call it. People try to uh, by camera more. I just want to let everybody know that I'm working on it. Here's the one most important thing that I used to say all the time. My real change into health and wellness really became a conversation I was having with my doctor. And, um, he was telling me that over the last couple of years, he had been monitoring my blood pressure. I was like, okay. Because, you know, you, you're never coming in here overweight. You always come in. Every time I see you, you'll drop like five or 10 pounds and you, you stay pretty fit. But this is still going up. And I'm like, what? How? And he goes, well, you know, it doesn't, you, you know, this is being a therapist. Your blood pressure has nothing to do with how big or fat you are. And he goes, well, and this is right after my mom passed. So it's 2009. And he, I was like, okay. He said, well, did your mother have high blood pressure? And I was like, actually, no, she actually had low pressure. Mm. My mom passed away from lung cancer. That was one part. The second part is when I called my dad and I asked him about the men in our family. He goes, I said, did the men in our family have high blood pressure? Which also made me allude to know that we don't talk about it. His response is what changed me. Mm. It wasn't what he said. It's how he said it. He goes, oh, yeah. And this is where you throw a, a big N-I-double-G-G-A-A-A-A in the yeah. statement. Yeah. And he said it so it's supposed Casually, to happen. Right? Yeah. You know, and I was like, you do know that I could be walking down the street and die because of a heart attack, yeah. right? So now all of the schooling part is coming in. I'm like, you don't really understand the importance yeah. of the thickening of your arterial wall of your heart. And it's one of those things too, where we know in the black community or the younger ones of us yeah, now, yeah. now are getting better about this is we kind of know that as a black person in America, we get the briefcase of diabetes and, and high blood pressure just automatically getting to you. And then it's up to you and how much is going to, it's going to, it's going to affect you. you. It's going to happen. How you do it and how fast it gets to you is on you. In terms yeah. of your diet, to your exercise and that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And I think for, um, like even for me, when I was, I was, yeah, when I was back in California for the, the, my stint, the doctor had told me and she was kind of like, all right, well, you know, pretty, pretty healthy, these types of things. But it's like, uh, you already told me that you have diabetes in your family. You already told me you have hypertension in your family. Both my parents have it right. and their parents had it. Right. So there, she was just kind of like, look, you know, I'm not saying you're not overweight, but your oh, the your height, you could probably drop like 15 to 20. And then uh, you don't have to, 
I give you a bunch of drugs or you can drop weight. <laughs> so I saw her six months later, I dropped 17 pounds. She's like, well, all right, keep that. <laughs> have activity be as part of your life for the rest of your life. And just, this is going to happen. This is going to have to be. Right. It's like, I'm not going to say that it's always going to be like super low. It's probably going to go up and down, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And like, just like everyone else. Mm-hmm. But that gives you a little bit more, like, at least that you're thinking about it. Mm-hmm. You're checking on it. You're making sure you're doing that. And so that even for me, like I work out maybe three to four times a week and mm-hmm. try to get at least kind of some type of an activity, especially from b-boying and, and dancing so much before and then kind of that lull where I wasn't because I started to DJ more, which right. is a lot more sedentary. Right. That fried food at like three o'clock in the morning. Like Every venue has it. Whew, all that, all the drinks and all mm-hmm. that. So I think my time in California. All the loose women. <laughs> <laughs> That's that's for another podcast, Tim Gray. Just want to like throw that out there. Nope, nope, nope. No, I'm not giving you no. I'm not giving you enough from that. Mm-mm, mm-mm, no sound effects. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> but I think that the my time in California was the thing that helped me to kind of remind myself that oh, okay, I am a little bit older now. I'm over forty, mm-hmm. and I, these are the types of things I have to start paying attention to. Sure, because you know, ten years ago, I'd be like, eh. Now, Work. like. You know, and that another one thing too, I think it was in California and I was going up, I think it was like, like two, it was like two flights of stairs and I got to the top and I was like, whoo, <laughs> what was going on? And then this like older lady, probably in her sixties, white lady, she's like, mm. Just shook her oh head. no! Oh, that's cold. That's cold. So I realized in that moment. Well, guys, it's uh, it's been real. People. Yep, it's about that time. But cue Rocky music. But it was a good reminder to kind of like keep um, being active lifestyle, like mm-hmm. in that in, in that realm. Because then it would just, if not for my, um, I mean, not even for my, just for myself, but just realizing me, and my brothers, all four of us, have been talking about this uh, mm-hmm. to kind of keep checks on each other, right? Because I think that's important as well. Because like you said, it's coming no matter what you do. Oh, it's, it's going to happen. And so I think the, um, now, now that you shifted in that, mm-hmm. that's when you started to get your own, um, business doing massage therapy. Sure enough. And so that kind of a, that pivot was interesting as well, because you started to pull back a little bit more on the events mm-hmm. and you did more on, um, being, being paid to touch people. <laughs> that's why I say pretty people pay me to touch them. <laughs> <laughs> now with that. Yeah. How did you get to a point where you wanted to extend the gray brand into that wellness aspect of it? I think the entrepreneurial spirit is always going to be there. And you just keep looking for opportunities that are going to present themselves. And, you know, that creative ADD part has always been there. What I try to do is find a way to make it make sense to a wellness brand. Now, I want to say this with true openness that that hasn't always been the case. Yep. Because I like, oh, I could do this and did, and it didn't make any sense. But the one thing that is really important to recognize is that our community, specifically being African-Americans, indigenous people, not necessarily people who are Caribbean, or people from uh, who are black or of the diaspora from other countries, but the specifics to being a black American, we struggle with more health issues conditionally than all of our brothers and sisters of the diaspora. Yeah. Just because of, we've been used to a particular type of way of existing. Yeah. That's when that comes from activity that Mm -hmm. goes from eating. Mm -hmm. And then also talk like, just talking about your dad, the the lack of conversation. And so understanding Mm -hmm. that conversation of just like, no, my parents were actually really good about that earlier on where they kind of like, look, 
you guys want to drink or do drugs, these types of things. Here's your family history. You know, mm. this uncle died from alcoholism. This uncle died from lung cancer. This, this So they were very open with what was going on, like from a health standpoint, right. which informed our decisions later. Cause I was like, okay, well, not going to smoke. Right. Ooh, I do like alcohol though, but let me, <laughs> let me figure out a better way to, I gotta figure that out. Moderation. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. You know, I'm working on it. But the devil's juice. <laughs> the, the Lord's nectar. <laughs> but I like that they were open to it because then it helped us have a better understanding of sure. it. Sure. And then, um, my, another one of my friends that was a physician was basically saying at the end of the day, it's diet and exercise. Most and of so, it, yeah. And genes. And so, unfortunately, we come in with not saying our genes are bad, but we have predispositions. We have predispositions that mm-hmm. definitely uh, hinder us to having a healthy lifestyle. Yeah. It, it, but, you know, here's the thing. Most of the people who do work out regularly, are we working out for the visual aesthetic of it? Because just because a person has muscle tone and has in shape doesn't necessarily mean that they're healthy yeah. or the opposite. Yeah. Like I'll know people who are power lifters who need that size and mass to be able to move the weight that they do. Yeah. Exactly. But from a general perspective, if they, particularly a woman of color, if she's a bodybuilder or body uh, power lifter, they, oh, she's out of shape. No, you cannot do a quarter of the things that that woman can do uh-huh. because she's an athlete that you're not used to seeing. Yeah. If she does shot put, you're a bigger person. You need that mass. If you do anything out of the general ordinary or trying to make us, make us, keyword, fit into a particular perspective. You know, when I was a kid, they had a size that no longer exists because I think it would be emotional damaging to a lot of our children nowadays, <laughs> which was called Husky. Yeah. No. And I used to have a problem with it as a kid to some degree because I was like, you know, I was just, I had more mass. So we used to use the word big, right? Big, but I just had more bones. mass than other kids. Yeah. But I was a gymnast. Mm. So how was I able to do these tumbling exercises? But I was husky. Yeah. But, you know, we didn't, we weren't made to fit into the demo. But that being said, it gave me the opportunity to say, okay, we need other health and health and wellness services. And even the research that I did in the word wellness, here's a good trivia question. Do you know where the word wellness comes from? Nope. <laughs> That was a little bit too fast, but it actually was created by a man in the seventies, Caucasian man. And it was made to be, make healthcare more inclusive. Mm. So that diversity of the word actually didn't diversify anything. Yeah. His intentions were perfect, but you know, the result of that thing is that you don't usually see the people who created these modalities as the faces of the actual modality. Yeah. Case in point, most of the people, if I pull up, on YouTube or no, not YouTube. Let's just say Google. And I said, let's look up some wellness and health yoga pictures. You, you know how hard it's going to be for you to see a black person doing it? Yeah. I mean, it's not it's hard to even see Indian at this point. At this point. Now, yeah. I'm glad you made that reference because all of the people who are gurus learned from a person of color that was a man. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. So all of your Indian yoga gurus, all the Sanskrit, all, uh, all you know, these things came from an indigenous culture, right? And we're not the faces of those things. The most popular person of indigenous background that isn't yoga for specifics is uh, um, uh, Bikram. Oh yeah, that's right. So when people say, oh, you're going to Bikram yoga, not realizing that that's that's the brother's last name. Mm -hmm. But his stuff is so covered with scandal and everything like that. Yeah. But uh, so if we think about the history of like reflexology, and I ask people these questions on purpose just to make sure that they their interest is peaked. 
that you don't just hear a word and think you have an understanding. Yeah. So I asked a client of mine, I said, uh, where did reflexology begin? Anywhere in the world. Take a guess, Cameron. I'm going to say Africa. I mean, that's pretty spot on there. Came from Egypt specifically. Kemet for all of my woke brothers and sisters. Hotep. Uh, <laughs> but it started reflexology, you would think, just because of the popularity that it came from China. Yeah. Now, I'm not here to talk about who, what region started anything, but um, it is important for us to see ourselves in this particular type of fix. Yeah. I think that's the one thing I would say, as I'm getting older, I'm seeing... I think for me, when I was uh, interfacing with a lot of different things, whether yep. it was art wise, whether mm-hmm. it was dance wise or anything else, I didn't really need to see myself in these things because I just took the, what the, the bulk of it was, was like, oh, this is cool. This is something I could do right. because I think in my, uh, lucky the way I grew up, um, our parents kind of like instilled in us that we could do anything and we could be mm-hmm. such a yeah, belief system. Yeah. So it was actually not first. So for me, I was kind of like, yeah, but then when I started to get older, interact with uh, different types of folks, I was like, Oh wow. You don't think you could do X mm. like just because you haven't seen it. Sure. Like, because you haven't seen someone you're, that looks like you doing it. So you just automatically assume that's not what we do. Yeah. As opposed to being like, Oh, that looks cool. I'm gonna go try it. Yeah. And so I think that I've always had that mentality where now, as I started to get older, I started to interact and interface with different people. And I was like, Oh wow. They're, that that limitation that they put on themselves, but that's come from environment that comes from parents that comes from a it's lot of conditioning and marketing. And, and it's one of those things where I was like, okay, now I see the importance of people that look like us doing things that we don't, that we don't quote unquote do. And so it's interesting. Cause Absolutely. like for me, I was just kind of like, that's silly. But then now as I'm getting older, I mean, I have a lot more empathy for it because I'm right. now realizing, you know, I'm a black kid from the suburbs and I grew up around not as not, not many black folks. Mm-hmm. And so it was always different, a good mix of people all the time. So I was always learning from different cultures sure. where other folks didn't have that. So yeah. they're like, like, okay, well, if I don't see, you know, black people doing yoga, I guess we don't do yoga. Right. And so then I was like, that's, that doesn't make no sense. But now I'm more empathetic to that. Mm-hmm. And then now it's good that like in this health and wellness space, we're starting to see that now. So we're starting to see more massage therapists, we're starting mm-hmm. to see more reflexologists, mm-hmm. acupuncturists, like mm-hmm. all these different types of people that are black that are doing these things. Mm-hmm. And then that's helping. And I think- Social media has is, has its ills, but some of the positive things they do is is expose that too. So now you can see more massage therapists that are black. You more, can actually search it. Yeah, more acupun- acupuncture, yeah. uh, those types of things. So that part is to me is really cool because yeah. then it's like if I'm a young black kid living in wherever I'm living, uh-huh. I can find people that look like me doing something that I might have an interest in. I mean, uh, Fred Taylor, the famous running back on the Pivot Podcast, has this term that I love. It says exposure leads to expansion. And uh, as a kid growing up, the only way that we got to see outside of our neighborhoods, you grew up in the suburbs in California. I grew up in the projects in Harlem and here we still found a way of, you know, connecting. But it was through film and through music Mm. that made us, that was the only way that you can see something else, Mm. you know, and even my journey into massage, although you learned about me doing it later in our relationship, one of my childhood friends finally became, finally came in to get a massage and he was like, yo, can you do that thing that you do to my shoulder? <laughs> it's like, you know, your friends are hood. Hey, you take it. I was like, so, you, so you, you're reluctant to use the word massage? Okay. I won't make you say it. <laughs> so it was the stupidest thing in the world, but I love it. I love you. Shout out to my brother, Mike. But he actually reminded me of something that I thought I was, you know, how you, you, if you listen to yourself long enough, you narrate your own story. And that doesn't mean that the story is true. 
We are all the stars of our own movies. Please believe it, because Lord knows my story. I was changing myself. I was Clark Gable by the end of it. But um, he reminded me of a statement that I made. Um, and what I said was, the reason why I got into massage is because of a movie. And it was a younger man trying to hit on an older woman on a beach. I cannot remember the name of this film at all. But, you know, if you had Cinemax in the late 90s, you knew it was like <laughs> sketchy. Shout out to Skinemax. Skinemax. So, uh, and we were still in cable too. Yep, yep, uh, yep. But he, uh, she invited him to a dinner party that night just to see what he would do. So he had to borrow one of his friend's dad's suits just to go to the party. So he started to see all these other men at the party, you know, like very distinguished. And, you know, I'm in mergers and acquisitions. I'm in banking and I'm in finance. And he was sitting there. So she was actually talking to these men, asking them what they did. So she sees him and she kind of smiles like, oh, he showed up. Okay. She goes, so what is it that you do? And he stuttered. And he goes, I'm a massage therapist. At the time, 18-year-old Tim has no idea what that is, okay? No idea. But it was her response that changed my life. <laughs> Shut up, Cam. Her response was, so you really know how to touch a woman. I was like, what? <laughs> yes! This is it, baby. I cannot shoot a jump shot better than some of my best friends. I do not play baseball as well as my Dominican friends. I can sing, I can dance, and I can come up with something that somebody's going to be like, what is that? And no one can disprove it because you didn't know what the hell it was. <laughs> and in the next scene, he's rubbing oil on his uh, um, scandally clad woman. <laughs> so this is the story I used to say. Mike comes in to get a massage, fix her shoulder. Mike goes, that wasn't it. Like, what? He's laying on the table. And he looks at me with the most deadpan look. I was like, that wasn't it. I was like, how the hell are you going to tell me what was wrong with my story? He goes, part of my life, because I was there. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what are you talking about? And this is what he said. He said, we used to come to your house all the time. We used to watch the Karate Kid. I was like, yeah, because everybody knows I'm a martial artist. So I love anything in that community. Shout out to Kung Fu Theater, everybody who watched that. Right. He goes, yo, you used to do the Miyagi hands. I was like, what? And I'm listening to it and you used to. <laughs> boom. And he, of course, he rubbed Daniel's knee. And for some miraculously, he walked out like Clyde Frazier in 73 and, you know, came and kicked Johnny in the face. Larry. But he said, I used to do that if a girl would be like, yo, my neck is hurting or something like that. So I would be like, my moment. Boom. <laughs> And he said his word. I used to rub on the girl's neck or shoulder and they would look at me like, yeah, this dude go trying to be all extra Kung Fu. I, oh, he go with that bull. And then the girl would go, oh, shoot, my neck just feel better, y'all. And I would look around with that. Mm-hmm. See you, mother. You ain't got nothing on me, cat. Mind you. So if you think about it, Karate Kid came out in 1984. By the time it had to get the video cassette, that means we had to go to the neighborhood, whatever, because we couldn't go to Blockbuster because none of us had a Blockbuster card. <laughs> I was in the hood, yo. So I'm like, yo, if that Karate Kid came out in 84, it probably came out on video two to three years later. So this had to be like 87, 88. I was 12, 13 years old. Wow. Mr. Miyagi, bro. All the way to now. To this day, I love Pat Morita for that reason. Hmm. Interesting. So I did not even realize here it is all these years later that a movie influenced me to touch people 
another influence movie influenced me to try to get it to get girls. But it was my mother who let me know that it was actual profession because she found one of my business cards in my laundry when I was a kid. <laughs> and she was like, what is that? I was like, it's my card. And it said hands of joy massage. Okay. And I still have one card to this day. Wow. Now the reason why this is funny, Kev, <laughs> it was the reason why I was called hands of joy is because my friend joy was the only person I knew who had a computer and a printer. Okay. <laughs> so shout out to joy who lived the Espinot and she spelled her name J O I. Well, she didn't, her parents did. And so I spelled it the same way as like a tip of the hat to her. So people thought I was fancy. So they thought it said <laughs> hands of a schwa. <laughs> people thought, you know, black folk. We always Shout, out to the hood. Shout out to the hood. So that's where my first business card was. And my mother found it in my pants pocket. That's and I was cool. going to parties trying to hit on college girls and stuff like that with my business card and had my beat my double on it, baby. And my mother was like, baby, this is a real profession. <laughs> I was like, what? 18 year old me. I'm like, what do you mean it's a real profession? I had never seen what a massage therapist looked like. Mm. How, like, where was I going to see it? It wasn't in any film. Yeah, If you could, it was the 42nd Street special. <laughs> you know what I mean? Gotcha. It was, you know, bad porn, 70s porn stash type of stuff. One and also too, I think that's also good to understand because a lot of people, when they think of a massage, the, the images they get up mm -hmm. is the, you know, um, the Chinese joints mm -hmm. or the quote unquote Oriental, which mm -hmm. is a horrible name. And, um, but yeah, it's usually the, it's, you know, cheap, it's yeah. quick, it hurts. It's not quality. Yeah. So there's, I think it's interesting because, um, when I came in one time, I was hanging out with you and, uh, some of your other colleagues mm -hmm. and it was funny because you guys are all doctors. Yeah. You don't look like doctors at all. <laughs> Chiropractor, <laughs> acupuncturist. Yep. I'm like, you look like we were at a cafe just having a conversation. Straight up. But it was cool because you guys are all, you know, masters of your craft in these different things that don't, of place spaces that you guys don't necessarily wouldn't be normally. Not typically, no. And so I think it, it is a good thing because then what happens is people have a different understanding of what uh, massage therapy is. And yeah. like, you know, that type of healing mm -hmm. is something that's more, is a little deeper than just like you said, like the quick. Oh, for sure. And, you know, yeah. you, like you are, like I said before, you would, you would tell me like, yeah, there's a difference between you know, going down to, you know, uh, an or quote unquote oriental massage place mm -hmm. and someone that's a, like a, mm -hmm. someone that's master. Mm -hmm. Now, one of his things is price. And then two is, is actually like healing. Yeah. And education. <laughs> yeah. I mean, here's the thing. Uh, those places became more popular more so I think because of, um, Hollywood. Yeah. And also the bastardization of Asian culture. Yeah. Very, so, very um, when you saw these things, they became associated to Asian culture only. Yeah. And a lot of fetishes and like those types of things. Yellow fever, all of those yeah. things that be, yeah. are a thing. Yeah. And so a lot of soldiers in regards to being overseas uh, with uh, the Korean War and more predominantly the Vietnam War. Yeah. So being able to fight through those things as a therapist, even when you're touching somebody, someone's, oh, you good with your hands. I thought I was. Until I got into massage school and understood what educated hands are. Mm -hmm. And I realized my first year and a half of school was in medical school. Mm -hmm. That I had to learn every origin and insertion of every muscle and bone in the body. That's over 300. Yeah. So. As an artist. There's 33 muscles in your feet. <laughs> that part I didn't learn though. 22 bones. Yikes. 
So being able to understand what they are, what they do, what they move, it makes you look at the body totally different. Yeah. And it's a greater appreciation that you learn for it to see how amazing this thing is put together. And I think also too, especially now in the, the Gen X millennial situation, yeah. mm-hmm. people that are now, um, they're professionals and all that kind of stuff. And they do have the disposable income. Yeah. Now they look at getting a massage, not as an extra but something that's like part it's a lifestyle, of lifestyle. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And this is important because, you know, people before they would just go like, Oh, I'm on vacation. Let me go. Ahead and oh yeah, absolutely. But it was now, a, re- it was a reward. Yeah. But now people are like, okay, let me schedule one monthly. Mm-hmm. So like I got a lot of tension in my shoulders and this yep. and that, and I got to make sure I get released and this and this. Um, and then there's the people that, you know, either have the means or they've like figured out how the, their scheduling is and they kind of do it every other week or something like that. Yeah. And then also too, the ones that, you know, learn, you know, one, they didn't know they had this much tension. Mm-hmm. And then once it gets released, they're like, Holy crap. And then the other part is like, okay, now then you tell them, Hey, the reason why you're doing this is because you're sitting wrong or you have the wrong chair right. or you need to. And then they start to research more ergonomic stuff. And know, they start to pay up. attention to themselves, 100%. which, you know, we're aesthetically shout out to the Gen Xers. Shout out to all the youthful people who are in a better space than we were when we got it. You know, uh, we didn't know what therapy was. Yep. We didn't look at massage as therapy. Yep. hundred percent. We looked at it as that's what you did if you were on, you know, if you have money like the people on Dynasty. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it wasn't something we associated to our community or, or the, the value added to our health. Specifically, generally, th- this, com- this country focuses on what you can purchase, not how well you can live. Yeah. And I think that's the part where the people that I know that would regularly get massages mm-hmm. or they see their chiropractor or those type of stuff there. And, and this, and this is the, the, the longevity dancers or the people mm. that are athletes or something like yeah, that. Cause that was performance related performance yeah. related. Cause those are the ones that are like, you have to, because like yeah, your body's going to break. Yeah. You're going to break. And so they looked at it more as a, this is part of my thing. And then it was good because then you started to see insurances and stuff start to, to add that into their uh, benefits. Yeah. But the people had to ask for it. Yeah. People had to ask for it. Yeah. People got to ask for it. It's not universal yet. But I like that at least now people are starting to understand that this is important because mm-hmm. it helps, especially, especially now that we're working from home and we're, yeah. you know, all of us desk workers are looking at computer screens all day mm-hmm. and, you know, having like a good, like you said, having good posture and having and sitting there at the keyboard, like just, just like, you know, stretching out your wrists and your fingers. It's such a small thing that goes so far, you yeah. know, like here's the thing. I actually love how depending upon how your search engine goes and what you look at, people are so much more open to learning more, not just receiving it. They want to know why. Yeah. So for what we do here at Great Wellness is important because we love to teach as well as we like to provide the service. Because if you have a comprehension of something, then you really know what your why is and why you show up. Yeah. You showed up here today. I had a 25-year-old girl coming to get stretched. And by the time she leaves, she gives me a hug because we had a life moment together. And I, there's no greater uh, appreciation than you feeling that you help somebody. Yeah. And I think that's the part where that wellness part comes into as well, where it's just like, it's not just like, Oh, I'm a massage therapist. Usually you're like, you're all, you're a massage therapist slash therapist. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But it's a body therapist. But then also people understand now that, the body is just as important as your mind. And usually it's vice versa, but then they're starting to see the relation now where it's just like, Oh, when I feel good, it's because I got some tension yeah, yeah, in my yeah. neck yeah. or my shoulders or I have that knot in my back that I never knew I can get out. Absolutely. Or, you know, never been able to touch my toes. Now I can mm-hmm. like those little small things. And so then, um, you know, for me, 
I try to keep like stretching as a part of my thing, just in general, because mm-hmm. I know that like, yeah, you know, as you, again, I'm t- I keep talking about as you get older, but you know, uh, hashtag B plays over 40. So <laughs> it's it's kind of real, man. It's, you yeah. feel it. You wake up in the morning. You're like, wait, what is that? And why is that? Exactly. I mean, look, here's the thing. I was in school. My, one of my professors said this thing. I still love it. He goes, the body peaks at 20. The warranty goes to 40. What you do between 20 and 40 will determine how you get to 80. Whew. Ouch. Yep. <laughs> and I, I, I think about that now even more because of rigidity, perspective about how you see yourself. And that's the reason why uh, things like uh, sports are so important to people. Having the right, you know, martial arts, the yogas, the uh, things that are group effort because it keeps you galvanized, it keeps you young. Yeah, no, that's true. And I think like, you know, I am blessed to be around people that mm-hmm. are all over 40, but don't look 40. Right. And I think that's a very interesting part, but a lot of those people are, have active lifestyles, mm-hmm. you know, and they, they keep that as part of their regular lifestyle so they can keep it in a certain level. And, you know, that keeps them young in terms of mental and yeah. from their physical, yeah. but it also, it helps them like they feel better. And I think that's the one thing too, where, when I see people my age that might not be an active lifestyle and, yeah. you know, you know, stuff happens, work, family, this and that. Mm-hmm. And then they look 50 or they look like, you know, oh, overweight man. and graying and balding or whatever it is. And I'm like, yo, we are literally the same age. <laughs> I was like, I know you got kids. I know you got family, but damn. Yeah. <laughs> what is happening, man? <laughs> but here's the thing. You know, who was one of the people I look at and I always think about it from an um, inspiration perspective. When I look at what Angela Bassett did to her body after she did Tina Turner, mm. when I look at what, um, what's the brother's name, Denzel Washington did when he played Ruben Hurricane Carter, um, Bob Hope lived until he was 100, but he got a massage every day. Okay, you can't say that you're financially Bob Hope, but when I think about, you know, uh, one of the greatest advocators for yoga was um, Quincy Jones. Mm. Uh, Rosa Parks did yoga all the time. You know, uh, if you look at a Caribbean family, idle food, eating that particular way, it's a particular reason why they look the way that they look, or yeah. why their locks look healthy, why their skin looks good. Yeah. So these habits have always been culturally in our community. We just didn't see it because the marketing, it didn't make it look as sexy. Yeah. But when we got people like Hove talking about wellness and health, when you see the advocacy for uh, mental health for people, stigmas go away and it's a gateway to other forms of therapy. So I like to say that we do preventative medicine. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So we stop you before you get hurt. Yeah. So with that type of repetition, the type of knowledge, and then you get to listen and from the people who speak like you do, you know what I'm saying? Like we come from the same block. We just, you know, we had a good 10 year period where we all went to our different areas. Yeah. And when we came back, that was it. Yeah, and I think that's the part that, like, that's the part that I like about the social media aspect of a lot of that now. Because mm-hmm. you started to see that more, the more the camaraderie. You see more, you know, um, black yoga teachers talking to each other. Oh, sure. Therapists. Sure. Acupuncturists. Mm-hmm. And, and then also, too, talking about, because, like, you know, it is, you know, it is going to the doctor. It is checking in. But then also, it is eating better. It is, like, being active. And sleeping. You know, we undervalue sleep. sleep. Sleep and water. Like, oof. <sighs> Yeah. Take a I, moment. Yep. I had to get my pillow. Right. Yep. Oh, bro. Look, 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 look. <laughs> Three of the best things you could ever invest in. Your mattress. Yep. Your sheets. 
and your pillow. When you get to that fifteen hundred third count, boy, <laughs> different lifestyle. That's upper middle class level. Right? It's yeah. a different lifestyle, brother. It's all different. Swimming in lotion. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right, though. I think it's funny because um, sometimes people like they don't value those like simple things because mm-hmm. like, it's not even simple because you sleep on them every single day. You spend more time in your bed than you do living. Like that's crazy. Think about Crazy. it. When you think about the average period of time a person sleeps, right? Yeah. On average, it's getting it's getting less time. You know, oh, like, you know. So, people. I have a client of mine who averages four hours of sleep. See, and I. This is the one thing I realized when I was in New York and I was uh, burning the candle on both ends, dancing, DJing, podcasting, working, this, that. Da, da, da. Mm-hmm. I was probably sleeping somewhere between four to five. And it was funny because I had talked to um, a psychologist back when I was working in uh, California yeah. and she was basically like, it's not healthy. <laughs> However, if you do get the consistent amount of the consistent, the same type of sleep all the time, you can actually function. I'm not saying it's a healthy thing to do, right. but if you're consistently getting four and a half or five and that's your consistent thing, you can be a functioning human being. Now, it doesn't die healthy. You'll definitely pay for it later. Please believe it. Yeah. But at the same time, that, that's part of the thing where you see more people do. And so one thing when I left um, New York, that's the one that I got back where it's like, I'm not at the full eight yet. I'm mm-hmm. probably going to get uh, six and a half to mm-hmm. seven, but my, um, I'm been more thoughtful about one, making sure I have a good pillow. To making sure I'm like sleeping at a certain time to like. Yeah, going to bed time. at a certain time is good. Yeah. And then also same thing when I wake up in the morning, I have water next to me. So I'm drinking some water right when I get up. So yeah. it's like just starting to be more thoughtful about those things. Where intentional. Think, yeah. Very intentional with your time mm-hmm. and what you're doing because mm-hmm. that, like you said, sleep is important because if you get a good night's sleep. Oh, then, it changes everything. Man. Exactly. <laughs> but it regulates your, your body. Your thoughts, the clarity that comes with it, the restfulness that your body thanks you for. We say things in Islam that, you know, your body has rights over you. So you have to respect the one thing that's perfectly made. Yeah. So it is also the one gift that we're given that didn't come with an instruction manual. Working so, on it. Though. So he, but psychologically you actually have it and the hap, what you have is examples around you. So the things that we admire are only on the other side of self-preservation. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So uh, looking at the brother like Michael B. Jordan, oh, he's in shape. Yeah, but he's eating, he's sleeping, he's resting, and he's learning his lines. He's not out. It's true. You know what I mean? So every person who you would have this admiration for, they had to do the internal work to focus on themselves. I don't care what they're successful at. They had to be quiet they had to be still and they had to focus. Yeah. And, and I think that, that focus and being intentional with your time and how you rock is actually mm-hmm. super important. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, that's the part that's like people see the, the end result, but not all the extra work they got. Nobody see you shooting in the gym, man. Nope. And so I think that's the part where it's like, yeah, they're, you know, every time you see, like, I think it was, um, Oh, Jonathan Majors. They just thought there was a, he has a new picture because he's on, I think he's in Creed 3. He's in 3, yeah. Yeah, and so like he's yo. Yeah, he had to get Mr. T big. Yeah, but it's actually cool because it's like, again, like they'll probably do another behind the scenes. This is what he did to get bulky. Oh, for sure. He's going to sell that to men's health. Yeah, but it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, man, like to get to that level, you have to get into a certain But level. it took six months of dedication to get there. People do not, we don't see the they, repetition. People can barely do seven days. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, but you have to find the things that make you feel good or you have to have a carrot 
at the end of your goal, that is your motivating factor. Yeah. Yeah, totally true. And you have to do it with support. Mm-hmm. You know, when you see Jonathan Majors in that shape or Michael in that shape or any other person or um, um, Chris Helmsworth when you get into Thor shape, my goal now is to be their therapist. So when they call the, the train to the stars, they're going to have to call the therapist to the stars, baby. You're going to have to come to gray either way. Yeah. See, that's a good goal. That, oh, no, that's it now. Yeah. That's it. And I still want to make sure that I'm accessible for every one of my clients. Mm. You know what I mean? But I want to have those clients so I have to worry about making sure that every light stays on. Yeah. yeah exactly. So um, when they want the best, they're going to go find the right trainer, the right food, the right sleep, and provide them with the best opportunities so they can be the best version of themselves come screen time. So I want to be on sets for our team the same way you see craft services on movie sets. Hmm. So when you craft services used to be coffee, potato chips, and maybe sandwiches. Now it's gourmet. Yeah. And I've been on enough sets to see like, you know, lunchtime at a craft services on the film. Yo, it's mm. nice. <laughs> so, so I want to have that recovery tent. I want to have the recovery trailer. That's pretty cool. Oh, that's dope. Yeah. I, I mean, think about it. Great wellness provides massage therapy, acupuncture, um, Reiki, meditation, uh, chiropractic, and massage. One trailer on a set. Yeah, that could work. If Arnold Schwarzenegger used to have an 18-wheel tractor trailer for his gym. Whenever with them, too. Everywhere. Yeah. So I'm like... You just need the right person at the right time of need to provide that type of connection. And that's it. But I also think outside of the accolade of having, because I don't like the word celebrity, they just have more popularity than the other person. I want them to see us doing it. Oh, that makes sense. So the goal, yes, is to be providing that for that person. But I want them to look up like, oh, that's just that black dude from Harlem with the other black girl from the Bronx, with the dude from Cali, with the other girl from Brooklyn. I want them to see us up there doing that because then that opens the doorway that I can be like, I know I have about 7 million more of us. So since you have so many productions from Amazon studios, Netflix studios, Sony, whatever like that, just tell us, I'll just send out the next four. So when you listen to this, people, if you know, uh, shout out to the brothers that earn your leisure podcast or uh, um, uh, what's the brothers, um, Steve Harvey, uh, Tyler, if you want wellness at your production house, at your studio, we ready, baby. <laughs> <laughs> and see right there, that's where we're going to leave it. Yo, Tim. Yes, sir. Being on. Thank you, brother. Um, you know, let everybody know where they can find you, all that good stuff. Yes, absolutely. So please log on to your social media webs and find us on Instagram or Facebook at Gray Wellness, G-R-A-E, or you can go to our website, graywellness.com. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you, Tim, for being on. And this has been fun. See you later. Peace to the kings and queens. And I'm at. <laughs> I want to thank Tim Gray once again for coming on the pod and kind of sharing his wisdom and kind of his journey with us. Um, one of the cool things that we did is we actually recorded this in the Gray Wellness Podcast Studio. Um, brand new, spanking and all that stuff. So this is a nice little plug. But, yo, I was really, it was really cool to actually record a podcast face to face a long time since I've done that. Um, back when we first started podcasting way back when. So yeah, thanks again, Tim Gray, for providing the space so that we can have this conversation. And once again, man, thanks guys. See you like today next time. My Friends Are Fresh is a Mookie production produced, edited, and hosted by Cameron T. Moore. You can find more of me on Instagram and Twitter at Hey DJ Cam. Peace.